Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. If you have your bulletins, um, the title of this message, which is in there, I want to start off by just saying, asking you this question. Why are you restless? Now, the first thing that comes to your mind, jot it down, put it away, because we're going to answer that question after it's teaching. The things that we restless about is the first thing that came to your, to your mind, to your thoughts, right? Like, for instance, for myself, you know, just thinking of my past week, I was restless because of <coughs> work situation. If you're a parent, you're restless because you have kids, and you're concerned about them. You don't know where they're at, especially if they're young adults. You don't know what time they're coming home because they're halfway in your house and halfway out. So they're in that gray area stage where they have to decide, what am I doing in life? You're figuring out things. And so for, for myself, that's what's been restless in my heart, in my spirit. Just the daily grind of life, right? The daily grind of life. And, you know, I could just look out here. There's some of you guys who are, you know, parents, moms, dads, and we're concerned with our kids. Some of us are single in here. It's been a long time since I've been single, so I really don't know what you're concerned or restless about. Maybe you're restless about being single. Maybe you're restless about, you know, Am I going to be 50 years old and be alone or still single? I don't know. Those are just some things that came into my mind. And maybe you're in here and um, you're going through a difficulty. Maybe it's financially. You're struggling with, man, how am I going to pay this bill? You know, bills after bills after bills. We always owe that guy named Bill every single month. I try to get rid of him, but he always shows up. So we wrestle with those. And I look at Adam and Tiffany, and they're about to have a, a baby. And if I was Adam, I'd be like, oh, man, another one on the way. More responsibility, more blessings. The good thing is, if you had previous kids, you can see, you can kind of tweak, all right, I did this with those guys. Now I know what to do with this little one when he comes out or she comes out. You're like, and you're restless about those things, right? Maybe you're in college. Maybe you're going to school and you're restless about your, the finals are right around. My daughter's like, she has her finals week at the, like, beginning, the end of November, beginning of December. And she's, like, restless when it comes to that time. She'll not show up. She'll be at the library, you know, studying, sleepless nights, studying, hoping to get pass a, hoping to pass a grade, which, praise God, I tell her, you need a pass because it's already paid for, or we have to pay for it. So you got no choice but to pass these classes because the money's already spent, right? So we get to a point where our thoughts and our, you know, our hearts we're so concerned about things in our life that Jesus is going to address as we go through, through the text this morning. 
what rest, what rest is in him. Because we can, come, we can come and try to find rest in every other thing, right? We can come and try to find rest in our relationships. You know, you're, you have this relationship. You're married. Maybe you have a girlfriend, a boyfriend, and you're, and you're restless about the situation. Where is this thing going to go? You know, should I take the next step? Should I step back? What am I doing? So you're trying to decide, and so you're restless about that. So there's all kinds of things we can go to. Sadly enough, people can run to things that take them away from just the cares and the worries, the concerns of the world. People run to, like, alcohol, right, because they don't want to feel the pain or go through the tensions that they're dealing through. People run to drugs because they don't want to experience, they know their guilt, they know their shame, but they just don't want to bear with it. Or you can completely just run away, like Job. God told him, Job, I have a special plan for you. You're going to go tell your enemies that I'm going to save them. You're going to go preach the good news to them. And Job hated those guys so much, hated them so much that he ran away from God's plan. And sometimes I find that in my life as well, that you know specifically the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about something, and you don't want to deal with it. You want to run away from it. And when you're running away from those things, you're restless. There's no peace. There's no hope because you're running. So that is the question I want to pose this to you this morning. Why are you restless? And there's like four points I want to get out of this message. Religion is work. Religion is work. I can think about, just think of all the different religions that we have. And they have to work. They have to work in order to appease a God or come to a place where you're one with some, something. So religion is work, and sadly enough, we as believers, we can make our Christianity, our relationship with Jesus into religion. It becomes religion. It becomes something we have to do. We have to show up on Sundays so we can feel good on Monday. We have to show up on Sundays and Wednesdays so we can make sure that we're not feeling guilty because we didn't miss showing up to church or to whatnot, a Bible study, a prayer meeting. We have to pray because, you know, it's going to make us feel better because we prayed. We have to read our Bibles. We have to be in the Word because it's going to make us feel better. But God says he, he, he took away all that stuff. You know, we come, we believe, we have faith in God, we have trust in Him, and we walk by faith. So before we do that, I want to just go over Matthew 11 and just because today I'm going to cover Matthew chapter 11, specifically those last verses and get into it. But I love reading the Gospels. Like, I love the book of Mark. It's like an action-packed short book that I tried. Every single month I go through the Gospels. You know, right now I'm in a book of John going through there. Mark, you know, Matthew. It just, like in a morning you know, I'll have, it's on my phone, and I can listen to it. Like the first thing 
before I even get out of bed, I'll go and listen to it. It's amazing. We have all these tools, guys. We have all these tools to help us grow in our walk. So, and that's like filling your mind, your thoughts with God's word and just listening to Jesus as he's walking through his life through the last three years that he lived and having relationships with people and seeing how he responds. And so every single morning I just listen to the Gospels and it just fills my heart that I'm able to accomplish what I need to accomplish that day. And so I would encourage you if you if you haven't made it like a practice for yourself to get into God's word, I mean, maybe do that. Just take your phone out. You know, you don't even have to read it. You could just listen. That's what I do. I just listen to it. And it is so refreshing. So in Matthew chapter 11, in chapter 1, talks about the genealogy and records the virgin birth of Jesus. In chapter 2, we see the wise men enter into the picture. We see Mary and Joseph, the flight to Egypt. We see the return to Nazareth. In chapter 3, John the Baptist appears, the forerunner of King Jesus. And he announces the kingdom and baptizes Jesus the king. In chapter 4, we see the testing of Jesus in the wilderness. We see Jesus begin his public ministry in Capernaum where he lived. He calls out disciples. In chapter 6, in chapters 5, 6, and 7, we see the Sermon of the Mount. We see the Beatitudes, the attitudes that Jesus wants us to walk in with one another, with him, and with this world. So we see that in 5, 6, and 7. In chapter 8, Jesus starts performing miracles. He performs six miracles, his dynamic. To, he brings the, he, all the teachings of the Sermon of the Mount, now he's starting to bring that into fruition, into the kingdom of heaven is right here before you with his miracles, right? In chapter 9, he performs six more miracles. He calls Matthew, and he's in contention with the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees enter the picture, and now they're starting to butt heads about what the kingdom of heaven is. In chapter 10, he commissions his 12 disciples. He sends them out to heal, to perform miracles, to let the people know that everything Jesus has been talking about in 5, 6, and 7, it's right in their midst. And that brings us to chapter 11. And we'll start from verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1. And now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Remember in chapter 10, Jesus told, he chose the 12, and now he's sending them out to go express the kingdom of God is here because he is here. And he's going to prove that by empowering his disciples to perform miracles, to heal people, to raise them from the dead. It's amazing to me that he empowers his disciples to do that. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, it says, And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal the, all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. 
Jesus, in uh, Matthew 10, 5, say, says to his disciples, Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the house, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, this is what Jesus is commanding them to, to do. As you, go, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, because Jesus is here. God is walking the earth. And that's what he's telling them to do. He's telling them, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely you have given. And he's going to tell them in chapter 10, not only that, guys, but as you go and preach, you're going to be persecuted. People are going to hate you because they're hearing this message, and it pierces them to their hearts. And that's why Jesus in Matthew 11, 1 says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in the disciples' cities. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to Jesus, "Are Are you the coming one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? Or do we look for another? Right now, John was put in prison because he had called out King Agrippa of his sin of taking his brother's wife. And so that's the reason why John is in prison right now. So right here, we, I mean, John the Baptist, Jesus calls him the greatest man that was ever born up to his time. But John was in prison and sitting there, and he's wondering... Because he's looking for the kingdom to come now in his lifetime. And Jesus comes and he shows on the scene. And John's definition of the kingdom that he wants done is not the same as what Jesus is doing. And so John is frustrated. He's in prison. Maybe he has doubts. Maybe he's sitting there and he's like, man, I've been wearing this camel hair. I've been eating locusts. I've stripped myself of everything. I've been in the wilderness seeking God. And now I'm in prison. This is not happening. He's expecting the kingdom of God to come in his lifetime. He was expected to be part of the kingdom, that the earth was going to be renewed, that Jesus was going to bring justice and righteousness right then and there in his lifetime, but it did not happen. And I think to myself, if I'm in the place of John, I would have doubt. I would be frustrated. Because John believed and he knew and he trusted that God had a plan for him and he was in total giving of the will of God. And yet he's in prison. And now he's unsure. He has doubts. He's thinking, what am I, what's going on here? I've done all that the Lord had commanded, but uh, it's not going to what it's supposed to go like. Right? And that happens in our lives. Before we moved out here, we were in Oceanside, California, and I was praying. I felt that God was leading us as a family to leave Oceanside. And I was praying about a friend of mine um, that I took Bible college classes with in Vista, California, had gone down to Costa Rica to start a church, Calvary Chapel. And so he had emailed me, and we'd been in contact. Hey, you should maybe pray about coming out here. 
And this was like within three, six months before we actually moved out here to Lubbock. Lubbock wasn't even on the radar. And so we had that opportunity, God opened up. My brother was uh, an evangelist out in Hawaii. He had a ministry out there. He goes, why don't you guys come to Hawaii? You know, you can be involved here with the ministry. We can get you a place to stay, and you guys could get settled in. And that was available. And this all happened within like three months. And we've been praying about this for like six, for like a year or so. We came out here to visit Lubbock, and God put something on there, you know, because I had small nephews out here, and he was like, I want you to go to Lubbock. And I said, God, you want me to go to Lubbock for those little guys? And I was like, I- I'm not sure I'm hearing you right. But anyways, Costa Rica opened up, Hawaii opened up, and then my parents retired back to American Samoa, and they have a seminary there. And so my mom always prayed that, God, please have my kids go into ministry. And, and guess what? It's like me and my other brother are now like in the ministry doing God's work. And so he said, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want you to go talk to this guy. He's a Samoan pastor and he speaks, he uh, evangelizes and speaks in the Samoan language. I want you to go talk to him and find out maybe God is leading you back to American Samoa to learn, relearn the language so you can, so you can start, you know, teaching and preaching in American Samoa. So we had Costa Rica, we had Hawaii. We had American Samoa, and Lubbock was in the back burner. I, it was back there in the back of my mind, but it never was like my, my plan, right? It was never my plan. And yet, God opened that up. We moved out here. We looked first for a Calvary Chapel, and there was, you know, we saw the newspaper. I was like, holy, holy moly, there's a bunch of different churches. They had like three or four different Calvary something. And so we started calling around, and Yvonne had called uh, Calvary Chapel, spoke to Natalie, I believe. We, they were on 34th Street, and they had just gotten out here like six months before we did. And so in my mind, I was like, I don't know if I made the right move to move out here to Lubbock because I had these opportunities. My plans were like, man, Costa Rica looks good. Man, I should go down there. There's a beach. You know, I can, you know, surf and do all that stuff. In Hawaii, I've been to Hawaii, you know, I love it there, weather's warm, man. Or American Samoa, yeah, I could deal with that, I'll, I'll go home and relearn the language. But no, God called us over here. Like John. I was like, when we moved out here, I had doubts, like, man, I don't know if we made the right move. But, Pastor Ben and them had moved out here six months prior, and they were going on a year I get involved as soon as we moved out here in June, the end of June, we went to church on a Wednesday, and God said, I want you here. And that was 2004. And now we're going on 2020. God has a plan. If it doesn't align with what we think we should do, he has a plan. His plan was for us to move out here and come help help in his work here, and we have been here ever since. So, and probably that's what John was doing. You know, he was saying, Jesus, what are you doing? I'm in prison. And so Jesus had to remind him. He had to remind John about what's coming. 
So Jesus tells John's disciples, the two guys that came, he said, Jesus answered and said to them in verse 4, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Dead people, like dead people are raised. I've never seen a dead person raised. But yet, this is what's happening at this time. It's like Jesus being here in Lubbock, Texas, goes to UMC to covenant, heals everybody in those hospitals. People are, that are freshly, that just went to be with the Lord or just passed away, Jesus goes down there where their dead bodies are at, and he tells them, raises them up. Think about this, guys. Think about this. If you are living at this time, you have all the evidence. You see God, the man, at work. You see people raised from the dead, and yet they still do not believe what's happening. And sometimes that's, that's like us. We've seen the miracles that Jesus performs in our lives, right? You got saved. That's a miracle. I got saved. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. And yet, we can walk in this life and be callous to all the miracles that we witnessed. It's amazing to me. And Jesus says, go tell John all these things are happening, and blessed is he who is not offended of me because of what I'm doing. Jesus tells John's disciples, Tell John, don't be offended of what's going on. Because John doesn't fully understand everything what's going on right now. John was in God's will when he was in prison because he prepared the way for Jesus. And now Jesus is on the scene. And we know what happened to John, right? He died. He got his head cut off. He never came out and saw the miracles that Jesus was doing and performing. He never saw all the people that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God touched while while he was in prison. But I believe that after John's disciples came back to him and delivered that news, John was rejoicing in prison. He didn't care. He was encouraged that. I've done what I'm supposed to do. And that's like us. Maybe God doesn't have a big something for us to do, but God has something for you to do, and it's you that is supposed to do it. Maybe it's something in your family. Maybe it's something in your relationship. Maybe it's somebody at your work. Maybe you run into somebody. God has a specific calling for each one of us. Sometimes we rely on the organization of the church to accomplish those things. When you're out 24-7, you could minister to people. You can touch people where you're at. So in Matthew chapter 11, verse 7, as John's disciples departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes, now Jesus had all the gatherings around him because Remember the previous, he told the 12 to go, and now he had performed miracles. 
His, the word is out that this guy is healing people. And if I had a sick family member or I had a need, I would want to go to somebody who could provide that need for me. And now Jesus is surrounded by a multitude of people. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go into the wilderness to see? Now, this is interesting to me. We can only understand this in the context of the Bible, because if you're just reading it, just uh, read it, you're like, what did you go to the wilderness to see? What wilderness? Well, I go to the, you know, the mountains here. And we see the trees. It's not the wilderness that Jesus is talking about. This is a desert region area where they're going out there. You have the Jordan River. You have streams. And Jesus is, Jesus is explaining of what's going on to what they can understand. Jesus says, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? He's talking about John. A reed shaken by the wind? No. Because you go out there, you see those, those, uh, those reeds out there, and you see the wind blowing them. You don't go out to see that because they're there. But what did you go to see? A man clothed in soft garments? We know that John did not clothe in soft garments, wealthy clothes. He wore, <laughs> I mean, we all know the Bible stories when we were kids and growing up. I mean, camel's hair, he ate locusts, grasshoppers, uh, honey. So he was a very, very, I would say he was like a man's man in a man wilderness, right? Jesus said no, because he never dressed like that. But what did you go to see, a prophet? Yes. I want you, I, want you, I say that to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So now Jesus is going to lift John up after John's disciples leave and tell John the good news of what's going on. He's gonna t now he's going to tell the crowd, this is what I want you to know about John the Baptist. Surely I say, in Matthew chapter 11, 11 says, Surely I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is less in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, John the Baptist. That amazes me. First of all, you have Moses. David, you have all the prophets of the past. You have the kings. You have all these big Bible characters that we read about and went to uh, Sunday school to learn about. And yet Jesus tells the, tells the crowd. And can you imagine the Pharisees, the priests, the Sadducees were there as well. And John is telling and Jesus is telling the crowd, John is the greatest. And the Pharisees, you know, they esteemed Moses high, high. They recognized, they, they, uh, they identified themselves more with Moses than with anybody, you know, other than that. And yet Jesus is telling them, born until I walk on this earth, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. I'm like blown away by that. I'm like, What? No one greater than John the Baptist out of all those Bible characters from the past? And yet, Jesus says, if you're in the kingdom now, you're greater than he is. And what's the reason? Why? Because Jesus died, was raised from the dead, 
And now he's seated next to the Father, interceding for us. We are in the new covenant, guys. John was the last of the prophet from all Genesis, all the way up till then. John was it. They had prophesied for this kingdom. They had prophesied for um, all this was to come. And that was the cutoff point. John was the final one to tell the people of Israel, hey, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. But before that, they were expecting the Messiah. But they never knew when he was going to show up. And John was the one who introduced Jesus right here. Ain't that a privilege to introduce God to your fellow human beings, to your fellow Israelites? That is amazing to me. And yet God says that we are more privileged than John the Baptist because we've seen the old, we've seen the new, and we have the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that just encourage your heart this morning? I'm just so blessed by that. Matthew 11, 11. Surely I say to you, among those born of women, Jesus saying, that none is greater. None is greater than John the Baptist. Verse 12 says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. 13. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. They were prophesying until John. John was the last to prophesy. They were all looking for the coming Messiah. 14, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is telling this crowd, listen, all the prophecies, everything was about me, and now I'm here. If you have ears to hear, listen to what I'm telling you. I am he. I am the one they've been prophesying about. I'm the one they've been talking about that's going to come and bring peace and justice and bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth, and I'm here. Verse 16, but to, but to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions. Now, this is the outcome. This is how, this is how people are receiving Jesus. He's going to illustrate it this way. Matthew eleven seventeen says, And saying, we play the flute for you, and you did not dance, and we mourn to you, and you did not lament. Basically, you saw these things. You saw what was taking place, but you never fully participated. You never fully believed in me and what, what's going on. You did not join in or believe John or Jesus of what's happening right now. Verse 18 states, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he is a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bieber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. So John came to proclaim the message, to proclaim the good news to his people. And what did they do? He's dead. They kill him. And now Jesus says, I'm coming to bring the good news to you. And yet you still don't believe. I'm performing miracles. I'm raising people from the dead. And yet you don't believe.
We are blessed to call Jesus friend, right? In my Bible, I have a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's you and me. He's a friend of ours. He didn't, care. He didn't come to save those who are okay with themselves. Listen, we didn't come to Jesus because we all came to Jesus because we know we have a need. Once the Holy Spirit opens up your heart and your mind to that need, we come to him. And we thank God that Jesus is a friend of sinners. He identifies with you and me. And that's why he was in contention with the Pharisees, with the religious people of his day. Matthew eleven twenty, it says, Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Cortison! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, I will be more tolerable in Tyre and Sidon, and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Matthew eleven twenty three says, and you Capernaum. This is where Jesus lived, preached, taught the Bible. He says this about Capernaum. Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. So from those verses, verses 20 to 24, Jesus is reminding them the mighty works, the miracles have been performed in these cities. Cortison, Bethsaida, Capernaum. That's what they call the, the evangelical triangle is where the region Jesus did most and performed his teachings, most of his miracles, probably about 80% of all the miracles, the teachings was done in, around these cities right here in the, in the, the Sea of Gal, in the, uh, where, where Jesus is preaching right here. So the people in these towns and regions knows about Jesus because they've seen him. They've seen him. They've lived with him. And Jesus called his disciples out of these cities. And yet, they see all these miracles. Jesus said, the mighty works. I perform mighty works. I've raised people from the dead, and yet you guys still don't believe. What do I have to do? Unlike us, we thank God he gives us the faith to believe in him. Because we don't all go looking for God like I, I you know, I, myself, Oh, I found God. No, you didn't find God. <laughs> None of us finds God. God finds us. God orchestrates your life in a way that he's going to present himself and enter into your sphere and present himself. Now it's up to you to choose. And that's what's happening. Thank God for the faith he gives us to believe in him. So these cities were very well known to Jesus in his time. And these cities was the places where Jesus was around performing all these miracles. So these cities were more like Jewish 
you know, a lot of Jewish people lived in these cities. A lot of the Israelites lived in these cities. They did their customs there. They had things there. And then the cities that Jesus was talking about, Tyre and Sidon, those were cities that were of the Gentiles, you and me. If we don't have Jewish background, that's us. We're Gentiles. We're grafted in. We're adopted in. So Tyre and Sidon were Gentile city, and yet Jesus says there's a judgment coming because you guys have seen these things. There's a judgment coming, and he says it's going to be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you cities, the ones that I went to, the one that my people are in, and yet you did not accept me. That is very sobering to realize there's a judge. First of all, there's a judgment coming, guys. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, we don't have to go through the judgment that Jesus is talking about right here. You've been saved from that because Jesus paid the price for us to believe. There's a judgment coming. There's a degrees of punishment. It says right here, it's going to be more tolerable. So, Cordesan, Bethsaida, Capernaum are going to be strictly harsher judged than the two cities of the Gentiles. Guys, it made me feel, it made me think about myself and my life. Like, before I came to God, you know, you are filth. You, uh, man, if you would have died, you would have been judged. And those sins that you, that you and I do, that we, you're going to pay for that. <laughs> if, for those of us who don't have Jesus, we don't trust Jesus, there's a, there's a judgment coming and there's a punishment that every single person that doesn't believe Christ is going to have to deal with. That's sobering, very, very sobering. Okay, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. See, we're getting there. All right. Matthew eleven twenty-five. So after Jesus tells them this, there's a judgment coming, different degrees of judgments. He's telling them, I perform miracles. You've seen the miracles. And then we get to 25. It says, at that time, Jesus answered and said that he starts praying. Can you imagine? He just told them this, and then, he, and then he goes into prayer. Probably, I don't know, probably hundreds, thousands of people around him, the crowd. And then he just prays. I thank you, Father. Keep in mind, who's in the audience? Who's listening to Jesus? The Pharisees, right? The, pre, the priests. These guys know the Scriptures. They memorize the Scriptures, so they're listening to Jesus pray, and Jesus says, my father. And that's very offensive to them because they've never, ever heard anybody pray to God as my father. And yet Jesus brings intimacy into the picture of his relationship with the father. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent. And the Pharisees are in the crowd. They're probably saying, is he talking about us? <laughs> you know, are you talking about us, Jesus? 
What are you trying to say? Because they were very, very prideful, right? And they were, in their minds, wise. They were wise in their own minds. Jesus says, you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. To babes. Who are the babes? The new believers are starting to believe Jesus. Keep in mind, these people were seeking God. And in order to seek God, they had to do all these rules, regulations, rituals. 600 plus commands they had to follow. That would put a burden on me. If I had a, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but here you go. is a list of commands you have to do every single day. When you get up, you have to do 10 push-ups. After your 10 push-ups, you have to do, you know, I don't know. what. I'm just, I'm just trying to lay it out. Rituals, rules, regulations. So even so, Father, verse 26, even so, Father, for so it seemed good to your sight. And then Jesus says, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Now that is rich. It's no wonder why the apostles and the writers of the New Testament No wonder why they write the things they write, because they were inspired by God and it's because of Jesus' teachings about what's to happen, what's to come, and what's going on. Jesus is saying, no one knows, really knows the Father. You've seen a glimpse of the Father because of all the teachings from the past. You've seen a glimpse, but you really don't know the Father. That's why I came here. In order to know the Father, you have to know me, the Son. And that's for us this morning. How do we come to the Father? How do we come to have a relationship with God the Father? It's through His Son, Jesus. There's only one way to come, guys. It's through Jesus. You don't come to Jesus We don't come to the Father by attending a church. We need it. You don't come to the Father by reading your Bible. We need it. We don't come to the Father by following rules and regulations. They're good for us. They give us direction. No, we come to the Father through Jesus. Sometimes we forget that, right? I know, I know in my life I do. I walk, I walk, I walk, I do this Christian thing. I got saved when I was 30 years old, and I'm fixing to be 50 this coming year. And it's like you get into a routine that you got to be reminded, Jesus, it's my relationship. It's a person, I got to be reminded. You have to be reminded. This is where we head home. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. 
Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We know that the only way to the Father is to Jesus, and Jesus has an open invitation for each one of us, for the world. He says, come. Who's coming? All are invited to come. When you come, you realize you have a need. It says, who labor and are heavy laden. Now, Jesus is speaking to people who have been following rules and regulations and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the priests, and the rules and regulations were so heavy on them that they couldn't follow it. And Jesus is telling them, come to me. Put those things away. I am here. Those people realized they had a need. Just like This world has a need. Jesus says, come. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I will give you eternal rest. Right? He says, come. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, come to me. My yoke. There's a work for each one of us. When we come, that's not it. There's a work that God has for each one of you that you need to participate in because it's God's work. And his yoke is easy. It's not burdensome like the Pharisees had put on these people. It's easy. God gives you the grace, the know-how to take on his work, and it's restful work, right? When we moved into this building, there was nothing here. All these walls y'all see, there was nothing here. It took work for people to raise this up. It was work. We worked for like the whole summertime for months, days, months. And then after we were done, we had to tear that side down for the children's ministry, and that took work. It was tiring work, but you know what? It was work for the Lord. When these guys are up here, that's work. It takes preparation. It's work. Sometimes you can be restless and burdensome trying to put the right songs together. But you know what? It's work for the Lord. The yoke is easy. Jesus didn't say, come to me and rest, and that's all you're going to do. That's all we're going to do. He says, come to me and rest in me because I have a yoke for you to carry. Not the yoke of religion, but the yoke for you specifically of what you're supposed to do in the kingdom. That's why he says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. It's really interesting what I've taught about. I've experienced this week, and I told Talia, Talia had just driven in from New Mexico to do the worship this morning, and uh, she knows quite a bit about restless, but that type of restless is different from the restless of your soul. When you don't know Jesus, you have a restless that only he can fulfill. 
So I pray this message was encouraging to you, that you find your rest even though you're tired in Jesus, that you would be encouraged to live for him, that you would be encouraged to always move forward despite of life. Because life happens, but we can rest in Jesus, right? We can rest in Jesus. I'll pray and we'll close this out. Dear God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, just, God, just to teach your word this morning. God, thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for the opportunity to rest in you. Thank you that there's only one way to you, God, and that's through your son, Jesus. It's so simple. Jesus tells us to come. And we came and we rested on him. And yet, sometimes we want to strive for our lives, for our relationship with you. And yet, you tell us to rest. Because your yoke, the yoke that you have us to carry is your yoke. And that yoke is easy and light. And it's not burdensome. So I pray, Father, that your people here would experience that this week, today. God, that you would go before them, that they would find rest in you. I thank you so much for Jesus and his life and your scriptures. And I pray all these things in his name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.